Hey everyone, I'm Nate Vinio, and this is Something to Nod, a short podcast for the Christian with a short attention span, a podcast intended to give you something to mentally and spiritually chew on throughout your day, a Bible study in bite-sized form. And occasionally it may look a little more like my journal. This episode is entitled, A Shoestring Snot Revival. I gave my life to Jesus when I was in the third grade. I remember being a bit overwhelmed by some things, and my dad and I knelt by my bed and prayed. I can remember that moment as clear as today. From that day forward, I can see, in retrospect, of course, a battle ensued almost immediately. Fast forward to my freshman year of high school. I wasn't where I needed to be with the Lord. We were living on an island in the Puget Sound, and I was being torn in two different directions. Friends, school, sports, and the way of the world pulling in an unhealthy direction, while family, church, and another set of friends, and the Holy Spirit pulled equally hard in an opposite direction. And by choice, I had a foot on each side of the proverbial fence. It was late 1988 or early 1989, and things were about to hit a breaking point. I don't think I went willingly, but my parents had signed me up for the Spokane Youth Convention with our church youth group. I knew it was going to happen, and I wasn't going to have any of it. The first night at these events is usually a big push to get all the sinners saved and all of us fence-riding knuckleheads right with God. I had endured several marathon rounds of Just As I Am every Sunday at church, and I figured if I could make it through the first night resisting the cutting altar call of some crazy preacher, then the rest of the weekend should be cake. And like I said, I was not in a good place. I thought I'd seen it all. There was a simple raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus, the look up and make eye contact if you want to accept Jesus, the ask your neighbor if they're right with the Lord approach, the when I count to three approach, which I always thought was kind of funny, but anyhow, I digress. Whatever the method employed, I had no intention of getting right with the Lord that weekend. I was an angry, hurt, and frustrated teenager, and I had every intention of enjoying my weekend away from home, living it up as best I could, playing practical jokes and meeting new people, and to quote a Maverick and Goose, it was a target-rich environment, and I was up for anything except for getting right with the Lord. That first night, we poured into the Spokane Civic Center with what seemed to be a couple thousand other students. Our group was seated on the floor about two-thirds of the way back from the stage. I don't remember who the speaker was. I think I have the list of potentials whittled down to about three, but honestly, I'm not certain. And if anyone knows and has any insight on this, feel free to shoot me a message. I'd love to know for sure. But that first night was brutal, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually brutal. There's no question that there was a battle raging, not just for my soul and not just in the moment, but for the course of my life. I honestly have no idea what the preacher spoke about. I was mentally gnarled up knowing that the altar call was coming and I was going to be prepared to dodge it. I don't remember any funny jokes, no interesting stories, none of that. Just hashing out in my mind the possible scenarios to dig in and resist and to not get caught off guard. I'd been so focused on my mental prep that I missed the lead up to the infamous words, would everybody stand? It caught me off guard, but we were off and running. The next thing I heard him say was, turn around. This caught me completely off guard. My stress level was off the chart at this point. 
I'd never heard the turn around if you want to accept Jesus close. My mind raced because I hadn't heard all of the instruction either. Was it to turn around if you wanted to accept Jesus or to turn around because you'd already accepted Jesus? I was a mental wreck at this point. I gritted my teeth and held my ground. At this point, I just had to pick a lane and run with it. And I just stood there, not knowing what I had done, fearing the worst. I'm sure there was the infamous, with every head bowed and every eye closed phrase, because I remember staring at my shoes. Or maybe that was just my shame. I don't know. I don't know exactly. But I remember the next set of words, because it had to do with finally looking up at the preacher. And maybe you have, but at this point, I hadn't figured it out. I wasn't smart enough or clear-headed enough at that point in time. The suspense was killing me as to which lane I had chosen. I finally looked up slightly, only to be staring at several hundred students staring right back at me. I had been duped into getting right with the Lord, or at least duped in being led to the point of decision. At first, the decision was prideful. I couldn't just stare at a couple hundred people, or what I perceived to be a couple hundred people, and then just turn around as if I had changed my mind. It was some weird form of honor. I wasn't going to be considered a liar. And in all honesty, I think in that moment it had more to do with pride than it did with a desire to get right with the Lord. It's sad to say that, but I think it's an honest assessment. But the key phrase was, in that moment. Because at the same time, something deep inside me finally began to break. Next came the moment of truth. The call to come to the altar and meet with God in a time of prayer and decision-making and public declaration. I remember the tension, a weird war between what I call stubborn selfish pride and the pounding need to let the mess of my life go and get right with the Lord. Only in retrospect can I see it. I had friends at school, but none were Christians. They were good people according to worldly standards, but our lives were about to hit a fork in the road. They were headed toward the party scene and all the entrees that go with that, and most likely I would have been sucked right in with them. Season that situation with a bit of emotional immaturity and heartbreak, and you have a recipe for eternal disaster. That fork in the road was to choose my friends and their path, or the Lord and His path and plan for my life. It was a long walk, but a good walk, as if every step broke something in my heart and my spirit. When I hit the front of the Civic Center, I hit my knees, and I just began to weep. There was some organization to the moment, corporate prayer and such, but I was in a world of my own, just me and the Holy Spirit, God working on my stubborn heart. There's something cathartic in crying. It's a shame that it's been linked by the world to weakness with regard to men. But David speaks of crying all night and soaking his bed in his couch with tears in Psalm 6-6. Imagine that. A giant killer, a mighty man of valor, crying. And you know, God loves men like this. He usually relates to being brokenhearted. And God is near to the brokenhearted. Hard-heartedness doesn't pay off. Anyhow, in that relatively brief moment at the altar, something was broken, something was healed, and I got right with the Lord. His relentless love had pursued me, 
gently pushing me where I needed to go, and no amount of counseling, no self-help book could redeem and restore what took mere minutes at an altar. Something significant had happened, but it'd be years before I would realize the long-lasting ramifications. In those few moments with the Lord, nothing else mattered. I was in a zone, so much so that when I lifted my head, I saw what I honestly thought were shoestrings hanging from my nose, as if I'd inhaled a Converse All-Star and its shoelaces were dangling out my nostrils. I turned my head and they started to swing toward my shoulder, but they didn't fall. They weren't going anywhere. Like rubber cement, they were stuck to my nose and just dangling there. This is one of those moments when time stands still. At the same time I turned my head, I saw kids in the first row. And honestly, I have no idea if they saw me, but I was mortified at the thought of anyone seeing me like that. I think I may have an idea on how Peter felt walking on the water only to sink. One moment it's miraculous, the next embarrassment ensues. I suppose I could have let that moment derail me. But the key to it all was that with the Lord and on my knees, there wasn't a care about anything else. Attention was totally focused on Jesus in that moment. In that moment, I didn't have the ability or the wherewithal to care about anything else, even misplaced shoestrings. I've been stewing on this idea for a while now. What if I could live in that moment daily? What a powerful place to live a place that is more concerned with where we are at with Jesus than how we may look to those around us, even if we have shoestring snot hanging from our nose, metaphorically speaking, of course. Think about sharing your faith. Think for a moment about everything that God has done for you and the fact that he longs to do it for other people around you. Is it possible to be so focused on Jesus that their response— Their thoughts towards us are of no concern and no hindrance. How much more effective could we be? Whether you see it as difficult or easy to read the Great Commission, or whether or not you mechanically plug away at ministry, Jesus, as early as Matthew 10, verses 26 and 27, begins to set the prerequisite mindset for the Great Commission, or to keep it from becoming mechanical. Even if it is as simple as crossing the street to make a disciple of your neighbor or a co-worker, never mind going to the ends of the earth at this point, Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 26 and 27, So do not be afraid of them, for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed at the judgment, or kept secret that will not be made known at the judgment. What I say to you in the dark or privately, tell in the light publicly. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops, or to many people, as the Amplified Version would say. If I were to summarize or paraphrase these two verses, I think it would sound like this. Don't be afraid of people. There will come a time when everything will be made known and the eternal consequences of their lives will be made known. So spend time with me, private and intimate time. And out of that, Shout what I share with you in public. This reminds me of Paul's declaration in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation. 
This is such a serious dynamic that Jesus caps off this part of his teaching with an intense warning that, in essence, we should be more concerned with what God thinks than what those around us think. Check out uh, Matthew 10, verses 28 through 33. This is where I'm at right now. I long to have that type of revival in my life, a shoestring snot revival, if you will, where I couldn't care less what people think about me where I'm so dialed in in my time with Jesus that I don't even have the time or attention available to care what other people think about me, where I'm so dialed in to what it is that he wants me to do that any concern about how people respond towards me is absent from the equation. At the same time, having the compassion to pursue people the same way Jesus pursued me from a place of hardcore love. Okay, back to the story here. Let's wrap this thing up. Do you remember me mentioning being at a fork in the road? Well, God definitely had a plan. When I got back to school, a distance, a separation, if you will, began to subtly happen with my friends. It was hardly a calculated move on my part. It just kind of happened. That following summer, my family was presented with an option to move to Montana And I didn't realize it until earlier this year, but my parents had hung a lot of the weight of that decision on how willing I would be to relocate. I didn't pray about it. I didn't need to. God had been working on me in a pretty unique way. About a month prior to the decision, the gas station down the road parked a late model 1970 oxidized red square body Chevy 4x4. It was no beauty queen or show truck. It had been beaten up on logging roads and pulling ranch duty. It had dents, dings, broken taillights, and some hefty 31-1050 tires for that stout, tough truck look, and a plain Montana license plate that made it thoroughly out of place. For the better part of a month, all I could do was daydream of beating a truck like that up on old Rocky Mountain logging roads and Forest Service roads and getting lost in the mountains, chaining up in the snow and pushing that thing as far as it would go. My preoccupation with this truck was borderline sinful, but in a divine way, it greased the decision-making mechanism in my mind to say yes to Montana. The ties to my friends had weakened. The draw of Montana was way too much. I said yes without hesitation. I think I may have surprised my parents in the process, but the beauty of it all was that in addition to spending countless hours in the mountains beating up cars and trucks— I ended up with more Christian friends in school and church than I could ever have imagined. It became a prime place for me to grow in my faith, and it set a positive and godly trajectory for my life. It's hard to believe that one moment at an altar can have such a lasting effect. I may have looked foolish kneeling there with snot and tears pouring out my head, but I don't care. I don't even want to think about what life would have been like had it not been for that moment or the pain and frustration of taking that other path at the fork in the road. I'm hung up on Matthew 10, 26 and 27. Have that time alone with him. Let him speak privately and softly and intimately to you. You're so dialed in and focused that you don't have a care for anything else. Then speak it boldly, compassionately and obediently wherever you're led, without fear. I'm Nate Vinio, and this is Something to Gnaw On. Thanks for listening, 
And as always, if you're blessed with this episode, please feel free to share it, hit the like button and all that stuff. And until next time, may God richly bless you. Amen.